Welcome to If These Balls Could Talk, where each of us brings forth five topics to discuss. My name is Mark Pesci, and with me as always is the Harry Potter to my Ronald Weasley, John Campagna. What's going on, John? Did you play the new Harry Potter game yet? I know the answer is no. I haven't either. Is it on PlayStation? It's on everything. It's, it is on everything? Yeah. And you it can... does look pretty fun. It looks pretty fun. Yeah. I like uh, open world games a lot and just mm-hmm. blow up other little wizard people. It's like GTA meets Harry Potter. <laughs> so how was, how was the... Uh, were you able to do anything for your birthday last weekend? No, nah, my birthday was, was a wash, homie. Oh, well, I took my ball and I went home. We that's okay. Fi- we I'm just old that. now. I'm going to drink all the beer at Dane's house next weekend, so it's fine. (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately, our producer, Pete Steffen, will not be joining us today. We wish you all the best, Pete. We uh, will miss you. But with us today is our special guest, Dane Fox. Welcome to the podcast, Dane. I am so happy to be here. If these balls could talk. (laughs) We are glad to finally get you on the show. Everybody gets on the show. The first one's free. (laughs) Uh, so let's say we get to know our friend Dane, shall we? Now, Mr. Fox, you recently moved down the street, interestingly enough, also changing states from Massachusetts to New Hampshire. Now, you left a house that you essentially renovated from top to bottom by yourself. Tell us the part of the renovation that you're the proudest of, as well as what is the next big project at the new house? Oof. Good question. So, yes, it is very funny. We moved one mile down the street, same street. And all of a sudden, we have to re-register where to vote. Um, <laughs> uh, new new driver's licenses. The kids are in an entirely different school district. It's it's a whole thing, uh, which is hilarious because my neighbor actually has the state line halfway through his front yard. So I am 40 feet from Massachusetts, but I am in New Hampshire. Uh, different world out there. Does he pay dual state taxes? That would be fantastic. <laughs> actually, I actually think he does. If, if if half of his property is on one state and half is on the other, I bet you he does. Uh, but the dwelling's only on one? I, I don't even want to think about it. It's funny because <laughs> the state line uh, behind him is actually a vineyard. And um, they were very selective about where they put the, the building itself that sells the alcohol um, is very specifically on the New Hampshire side. So they... <laughs> um, uh, abide by those rules, but all the cars actually have to drive with their driveway, which is in Massachusetts. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, renovations on the last house were pretty wild. Um, they went a lot deeper than I expected they would. Uh, we were blessed to have a friend slash architect, uh, who was very accommodating and she was able to guide us through the process. Although I don't think she has ever had a client who was also an engineer and the general contractor and the laborer doing all the work himself. So I I had very strong opinions about how things were to be done and where walls would be and uh, the like. You come with a very specific set of skills. Very, very specific set of skills. Every every one of her drawings, I go, oh, that's going to be a lot of work. Okay, okay. (laughs) If I do this, it's going to be slightly less. Can we please do that? I just remembered when Dane was very excited when the concrete truck came to his house. Oh, that was wild. That was awesome. That that made my day. I remember when the when the master bedroom was all ripped up. <laughs> I I think I had several of you guys out yeah. um hufting uh four by eight sheets of plywood through through the window to to relay that. I had been on pace to do basically a room a year, and which was a good pace for the size of the house. And then we had kids and 
things slowed down and got messed up. And then I started doing it again once the kids were self-sufficient. And I found that um, I want to do this room, but I can't finish this until I do this. And I can't do that room until I do this. And I can't do that until I do this. And so we sort of, I came to the realization that I needed to do everything all at once. And so I, <laughs> I jumped into it and kind of uh, the house was built in the 1830s. Um, and sort of once you get into it, you, you, you find what's buried behind the walls and, um, were there dead bodies? There were, there were many dead bodies. Most (laughs) of them were rodents. Some of them were unidentified mammal of about this size. Rodents of unusual size. Yes. Yes. You found a dinosaur. I think I did. I I did. Dane, you definitely didn't not have a torture basement. Uh, (laughs) True story. True story. (laughs) What surprises me most from the renovations um, is the fact that I am still married. Um, <laughs> I, I tore our kitchen down to the dirt, yeah. very literally to the dirt um, for some number of months. And when you opened our back door, the main door to our house, you fell down about four feet. I had I had a wooden plank to go down to the, the dirt floor uh, that we were living in. And um, I just just gave the wife the refrigerator and a toaster oven and a microwave. And I said, make it work. And, <laughs> and we got past it. Um, she got a brand new kitchen. Out she of got it a brand new kitchen. Years. It was a she beautiful did. kitchen too. It was, it was glorious. Um, for about a year and a half, I worked two full-time jobs. One of them was the nine to five engineering job. And then one of them was the basically 6 PM to about two or 3 AM renovation job. Like, seven days a week wow um so i just slept just a couple hours but um based on the quotes that i gotten to do the work that i wanted to do um i saved hundreds of thousands of dollars just doing it myself that's amazing i believe that i think 70 percent of the plumbing got redone 90 percent of the electrical got redone restructured didn't you have have the uh, the house up on shimmins for a little while so with these houses, there are just so many generations that come through them. And some of them, some of the generations came in and took out like major structural walls. My um, architect basically came in and said, I don't know how your house is still standing. <laughs> I've, I've run the numbers and it shouldn't be. And so I basically had to restructure the house from below the basement to the roof, which again, I just it myself um so i i think that's the part that i'm most proud of basically didn't know what didn't exactly know what i was doing or getting into but jumped into it with both feet figured it out got it done and gosh it was gorgeous so we wanted to check in with you on your progress on getting your pilot's license how many hours have you logged already how many do you have left and also what's the craziest thing that that's happened in the air for you so far that's a fun one um so a previous job had a flight club at the job itself. Um, the the owner of the company was an aviation buff, and so he had his own helicopters and jets. And oh, you said flight club? I thought I heard flight, flight club. Flight. <laughs> yes, flight like flying. Yes, I heard fight club. It was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, where, where's he going with this? This is, this is, this is getting dark. You don't talk about fight club. You don't talk about flight club. You do you talk don't... about flight club, though. Oh, you don't not talk about flight club. That's for sure. 
Um, so he bought a little piston plane um, and he just encouraged all of his staff to go get their pilot's licenses. Uh, basically, the, he had a flight instructor on staff and the plane was a conference room that you could book in their Outlook system. That's and so cool. So you just booked lessons and went. And so I started there, uh, left the job, um, and then struck out on my own. It takes uh, the FAA requires a minimum of 40 hours uh, to get your license. Um, although it is entirely at your flight instructor's discretion. The national average is closer to 65 or so. I am currently at just over 20. Um, unfortunately, in the last couple of months, I had to pause it for the final renovations of the house, the sale of the house, the purchase of the new house and life. Um, but I will be jumping back into it uh, in the next couple of weeks here. Fantastic. That's super cool. Are you going to fly us out to your island? Uh, absolutely. Um, hell, so hell yeah. the pilot's license is the first step to building my own plane, putting floats on it and being able to fly to islands. What? There's nothing to renovate with the new house. So you have to build a plane now. <laughs> well, I've got to finish the renovations on the new house to have the place in which to build the plane. Ah. So it's, it's, it's a multi-year endeavor. Um, you're I, in the, in, you're in your brand new barn now, right? This is what we're working on. I think that's oh. what I've been seeing on the internet. Yeah, the barn is so, so good. So good. <laughs> I am very excited to school everyone on your shiny new pool table next weekend. Ooh. Oh, my God. Oh, I just got felted. It is uh, so shiny. So are you going to are you trying to compete with Tom Cruise? Right. On, and the sheer number of licenses that you have, like, are you going to go for like helicopter next? Uh, yes, absolutely. hundred um, percent. That That is my one neuroses is i feel the, the drive to get certified to be able to do everything so it's like i i have driven in, in an 18 wheeler i i have my rescue diver uh scuba certification i've gone hang gliding like i just need to be able to do everything at least once <laughs> um, so, so i was gonna say you pretty much have everything uh set with when it comes to the water now you're just taken to the air now huh a absolutely Helicopters are fun. They're on my list. You have any plumbing or contracting or carpentering licenses? Uh, licenses, no. Um, very, 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 very <laughs> in in the great state of Massachusetts and New Hampshire. I found um, you are allowed to do your own electrical work um, if you really? own it, own and occupy um, the dwelling. You can do your own electrical. I'm not allowed to do my own plumbing, which sucks but um I, I i can do all my electrical work i can pull permits i can um have them inspected and i can get them signed off so moving on dane you spent most of your childhood and teen years living abroad growing up in places like hong kong and canada what is the best thing that you've learned from that time and what is the most important part about exposure to different cultures in your formative years yeah that was um a fantastic childhood um i moved to hong kong um at the tender age of 10. And uh, that was eye-opening. I My parents allowed me basically full run of the city. Um, so I had a little MTR or mass transit railroad um, card. Um, and I could just go basically anywhere. An incredible sense of freedom. I went to a very small school. Uh, we moved there, uh, three children, only one of the three of us got into the American International School, so uh, they shipped all three of us off to the Korean International School, which had openings. 
through my three years there, I think there was only ever one other American in my grade, and he was an asshole. Um, <laughs> there, there were, you know, eleven kids: you know, Japanese, Korean, obviously Swedish, Chinese, um, and every one of them sort of came at it from their own viewpoint. But we all, at that age, made fast friends and. Um, all of the divisions in the world, you don't see them as a kid. To this day, my my best friend is, you know, the the, the Swedish gentleman that, that um, I met when I was 10. Sort of fast forward, at the age of 13, I moved to Canada. And not only Canada, but rural Canada. Um, all of my neighbors were farmers. And it was a very, very different experience from living in what at the time oh, was... Bet. Yeah, the the highest um, population density in the world um, was in Hong Kong, five thousand people per square kilometer. In Canada, it's less than one person per square kilometer. <laughs> I, I I had to learn how to play hockey um, at the age of thirteen in Canada, which is just yeah. insane. Everyone else I, has thirteen years on you at that point. Basically, I, I'm pretty sure um, they come out of the womb skating. I was, they, they were very, very gracious and allowed me to start a developmental program, uh, with five-year-olds. Um, that's awesome. And Did the five-year-olds kick your ass. Uh, they didn't, but once I got up to about eight-year-olds, they were, they were snarky. Um, <laughs> I, I remember this, this one kid's move, uh, was to, cause I was tall and lanky at 13. He would skate at me full speed and drop to the ice into a ball and try to like, Bowl me out. Oh, like, wow. Take my legs out. It was, it was a solid move. He like, <laughs> um, he like blanked you. Oh my God. It was That's amazing. It, it was, it showed a great deal of boys. Canadians are metal. Oh man. <laughs> only, only when it comes to hockey, every, everything else they're so nice, but not hockey. That's, that's what they want you to think. It's a sales pitch. <laughs> uh, so to answer your question, uh, I, I think I've learned to be flexible um in every situation and just come at things from an open-minded point of view and i try to carry that forward with me still love to travel still love to, to get out there and see it um if you just stick to your own town and your own people um you've got a pretty pretty small view of the world what did the kids think of your recent trip to canada uh, they loved it. Um, unfortunately, with COVID, we've lost a couple of years with connecting with family and friends. So we took their school vacation week, drove up. Uh, Google said I drove 1,300 miles. Um, we went from New Hampshire up to Quebec City, uh, saw the Ice Hotel, stayed in, in old Quebec, went to Montreal, um, mostly the suburban West Island side of things, got to see Ottawa. Uh, to be very stereotypical, my high school friend, because I went to high school in Montreal, my high school friend, who's a pilot for Air Canada, um, started on the side a maple syrup business. Um, so we we got to go out and see his facility, um, which was awesome. And then we did two days of skiing uh, just north of the border on the way back. How much Canadian maple syrup did you bring home? And uh, how many pancakes am I eating with it? <laughs> I brought seven or eight liters. So call it two do, gallons. Oh, do you wow. have to smuggle that? <laughs> uh, no, I, I just, the border guard asked I, uh, what we're bringing over. I said, I got like 
four beers. Uh, one of them is is right here. I have some nice leftover Quebec beer and uh, brought some maple syrup. No, no talk about bulk volumes or, or bulk packaging. So my friend actually sells maple syrup in a five liter, so a gallon and a quarter for you folk, um, <laughs> box, like like bag and box, like like your your Boda box, like, like oh yeah wine yeah, box. yeah 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 of fucking maple syrup. Um, That's amazing. Oh, it's so good. That's so good. That's genius. As opposed I'm, to box wine, it's box syrup. <laughs> yeah, box syrup. That's, that's exactly what it is. So I got this really pretty <laughs> bottle and then this big box, and I'm just going to keep refilling it like the cheap. Does, it have, does it have a tap on, on the box like the wine does? Or the- I, I certainly hope so. I have not broken into it yet. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a Duncan box. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, thanks for answering those questions for us, Dane. Let's say we all get started, shall we? Oh, yeah. All right. So I'm going to change things up a little bit. Usually I don't talk a lot about pop culture topics, but this time I'm starting with a pop culture topic. I'm so proud of you, Mark. Uh, I'm getting my beer. Now, we've all heard of TikTok. It's a very popular social media platform that allows users to create and share short videos with a wide audience. By the way, all of my intros have were created by ChatGPT. That's amazing. Why didn't you tell me this before? I know. But despite its popularity, TikTok has faced criticism and scrutiny from lawmakers in the United States over concerns about user privacy and security. In 2020, former President Donald Trump sought to ban the app, citing national security concerns and allegations that TikTok was collecting data on American users and sharing it with the Chinese government. The proposed ban was temporarily blocked by the courts and later put on hold by the Biden administration. However, now its fate is in the hands of the current administration and is posing a ban in the entire country. So, gentlemen, what should be the fate of TikTok in the United States? And do you allow your children to use this popular app? I mean, Jamie doesn't have a phone yet. Jamie's probably not going to have a phone for a little while still. Um, Thank God. Thank you so much. (laughs) Right. I mean, she doesn't need one. So why should she have one? And especially why should she not be on TikTok? She has an iPad, though, right? I mean, she has an iPad that has a controlled um, user profile and is... I teed out the wazoo, man. I have I had that thing locked down. But she feels like she has freedom, and um, I feel like I'm being a reasonable parent. Solidarity <laughs> among parents who have high not five. Yet given high five, homie. Virtual high oh. five. Nice. Do I think TikTok should be banned? No. I mean, free speech is free speech. We live in a country where people should be able to speak their mind, even if they're lying. Even if well, the free crazy. speech, the free speech part isn't what's worrying the current. Well, the current congress which is republican controlled right now it's more of the sharing of the data i've said this on the podcast and i say it in my real life if you don't think that you're getting data mined by everyone who offers you a service for free then you are not seeing the the cards (laughs) on the wall i mean everyone is data mining you because the only thing that's valuable is your data the only thing that's valuable in the whole wide world is your data and so you know you look up a video a how-to on how to make pasta on TikTok, and all of a sudden you have a pasta strainer on your Facebook. It's not coincidence. They're all talking. They all want to sell you shit. I go into technology as I'm not a drug dealer, and I don't have anything to hide. I go into technology and the, the, the Alexa speakers I have all over my house with an understanding that that's happening. And that if it makes my life easier, that if I see a pasta strainer on Facebook after I've looked at it on TikTok that I like, I'm going to buy it, and I'm going to feel really happy about that convenience. Is, is there a darker side to it um, with that level of data? Uh, is there a possibility for social engineering? We saw 
the the Russian intervention in, in the elections. Um, is there a darker side of it other, other than the purely obvious commercial side of it? And as you said, you're naive if you don't expect that somebody's making money off your data. Yeah, they totally are. And I mean, of course, there's a darker side to it because unfortunately, we are filled, we are a country filled with people who want their information served to them and are very opinionated, right? And so everybody's a flower. Everybody thinks that they're right. And if, you know, TikTok is telling you that you should think away and you agree with it, you're like, well, tick- I-, I saw it on the internet. You know, there's a, I, I had this conversation with someone at uh, at a local bar the other day and it's, I mean, we used to have a thirst for knowledge. We used to be able to actually, you know, if we had a question, we'd look it up somewhere or ask, talk to people about it. And now it seems that we're, we have an opinion and we're just looking for the first thing that agrees with us. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, it's a, it's a little bit of a shame that that's kind of what our mentality has become. And it's really not just kids either. It's definitely all adults, adults our own age and adults older than us as well. It's uh. I don't know. That's just kind of the reality that we're living in right now. I mean, I'm not even on TikTok yet, right? I'm all tech Neither forward. Am I. Neither and am I. I don't really have a reason to scroll reels all day. I don't really look at, you know, the social it media. It can push. get addicting, though. Have you ever oh, tried? Yeah. Like, you all of a sudden, you just keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And then, you know, a while has, has passed by. Um, TikTok, though, is owned by a company named ByteDance, for those people that don't know. And Harvard Business Review has actually called it the most successful startup in history. As in 2021, it was reported they made $58 billion. With a B? Jesus. With a B. And they are 10 years old. I, I would love to make uh, $58 billion 10 years from now. Yeah. $5.8 billion a year. That's a pretty good number. Mm-hmm. That's, like that's, that. that's like Daniel Jones money there. Daniel Jones money. <laughs> Mark, you're the best. In a world where there's a next topic. So speaking of Daniel Jones, reports are saying that the Giants plan to release wide receiver Kenny Galladay on March 15th. Uh, Galladay was set to count $24.1 million against the cap, though he is still guaranteed $4.5 million this se- season. Now, Galladay was an utter disappointment in New York since signing a $72 million deal in 2021, finishing his tenure with 43 catches, 602 yards, and get this, one touchdown. Uh, th- this makes room for late season waiver pickup Isaiah Hodgins and the best wide receiver the Giants can find in the draft. So with smart moves out of the front office and exciting players like Hodgins being even a bigger role, um, are the Giants ready to compete in 2023? Ha! That's a no. good one. That's a good one. First and of my all, boy Daniel Jones. First of all, it, it's going to depend on what happens with Saquon Barkley. Now, they want to re-sign both him and Danny Dimes. More than likely, actually, I don't even. I don't. I want to say more than likely. In, in my opinion, what the Giants should probably do is move on from Saquon, believe it or not, and franchise tag Danny uh, Danny Dimes. And I think they. You're right. They probably need to get a pretty stellar wide receiver, but I think they should draft a running back as well. Now you might not get one as good as Saquon. But whatever money I think that they're going to pay Saquon, even if they franchise tag him, is I don't think it's going to be worth it. Uh, running backs just, especially those uh, those workhorse running backs that Saquon is, he's an every down back, just not worth all the money. I mean, look what happened to Zeke. Zeke signed this huge deal, and he's definitely he, he, it's debatable whether or not his contract was worse than Kenny Galladay's. Uh, although at least Zeke did perform 
and Kenny Galladay. I don't know. I didn't even realize he was still on the roster. So uh, I did. I do remember seeing uh, who was it, Lori Durant, that uh, posted something on Facebook about how he needed seventy-five catches in the last game of the season to get a, yep. a bonus or something like that. One touchdown. $72 million. I mean, they're clearing up $21 million for a reasons. And, and, you know, it might be to sign Saquon. It might be to make money for Daniel Jones. Well, they need money for both. Right. They need money for both. And, and Hodgins really worked out. I mean, oh, Hodgins absolutely. was a late season waiver pickup from the yep. Bills. Thanks, Pete. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and he did great. He made the starting roster. Kenny Galladay lost his position. And, um, I mean, if you're getting a guy who is... Not, I mean, he's not a minimum wage player, but he's not a million dollar player. You're getting a guy who a bunch of touchdowns at the end of the season pretty much helped get them to the playoffs. And you had that opportunity to get a good wide receiver in the draft. I think that's a really smart move. I mean, they what they have going for them right now is they have a fairly young defense. So a lot of them are on their rookie deals. And Dan, Daniel Jones, I mean, it would, would have been nice if they actually did pick up that fifth year option because that's what this year would be for him. Uh, as opposed to now, they they didn't pick up the option, so they actually have to literally resign him. Or hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Hindsight is twenty twenty. Although you know, you you didn't know three years ago that you were gonna hire Brian Dayball. It's it's funny. Like, is was this really a coming out year for Daniel Jones? Personally, I'm not convinced. So we'll we'll see what happens. But they definitely. I mean, every NFL team wants to have that franchise quarterback, and the Giants think that they have it. So you know, all more power to them. What do you think, Dane? No, the Giants are not going to be able to compete next year. Come on, we made the playoffs and everything, man. Uh huh. <laughs> we can talk about Mac Jones for a little while if you guys want to. Oh, we might be later. That's exciting. I'm excited. Well, I mean, I, yeah, and- we'll we'll definitely see what happens. It's I, I mean, they're that defense. I think is going to be even better now that they're you know one one year more experience. It, it will be very interesting to see what happens with the draft. I do hope that they. It, wh- who who do you think they're going to spend that first round pick on? Do you think that they're going to get a wide receiver? Or are they going to get someone on the offensive line? I mean, last if last year is a sign, they're going to continue to build the offensive line, especially if they're going to invest in Daniel Jones, which it looks like they're going to. Um, what I'm hearing um, from the talking heads about Daniel Jones is that they're a little too far off the Daniel Jones camp and the Giants front office. So they will probably end up franchise tagging him, at least for this season. Um, what does that do? It saves us a little money, allows us to spread out the skill set a little more and gives us another year to win. I'd like to see a, a top wide receiver. I'd like to see that 1A guy because we don't really have him yet. Um, so the Giants are kind of single stream like I've been talking about. They're a little easy to guard against. It's why it's been good that Daniel Jones runs like a gazelle. By the way, how come Kadarius Tony didn't fit on the Giants and he does on the Chiefs? I don't know. I thought I really thought Tony was a talent and I don't know if he who I think he plays very similarly to Darius Slayton and I think they just kind of chose I like Slayton and Hodgins together a lot I think they really fit very well I would love to see a good tight end oh who wouldn't want to see a good tight end next topic so the definition of a catch in the NFL has been contentious for years in fact Dane and I even got into a lively debate at the Super Bowl party recently. The league has made several attempts to clarify the rule, but there is still debate about what constitutes a catch. In 2017, the NFL introduced a new rule that required a receiver to control the ball throughout the process of going down to the ground. 
But this rule has been met with lots of criticism and confusion. Many fans and players argue that the rule is too subjective and that referees have too much discretion in making a call, including myself and Dane arguing whether or not certain plays constitute a catch in the Super Bowl again. The controversy has only been amplified by the widespread use of instant replay, which can sometimes result in seemingly clear catches being overturned. The NFL has acknowledged the need for further clarification and has suggested that it may revisit the rule in the future. In the meantime, the debate about what defines a catch is likely going to continue among fans and players alike. So everyone, does the NFL need to change its definition of a catch? Well, that Devonta Smith catch and the Miles Sanders one, those were crazy. And I don't, I watched that game and I was like, do I understand football? Because <laughs> I, I thought I did, but then I don't know. It didn't seem like I did. I mean, there seemed to be, uh, you need to have a set of rules because there's, the game is just so fast and there are, there are definitely certain things that have to ma maintain consistency as a definition of a catch. There's definitely a lot of these little, you know, nuances and, and there, there probably shouldn't be, but you know, another thing. And there, there absolutely shouldn't be. I, I think consistency is key. That, that is all fans across all sports crave is consistency. There's nothing worse than a bad ref, a bad empire, um, calls that aren't consistent. That's frustrating. Um, but when it comes to football and to the catch, they have made it much more complicated than it needs to be. I think you should take a look at, you know, a, a football game on a playground, uh, a bunch of elementary school kids running around, one throws the ball to the other. Is it a catcher or not? And and it's really obvious to them. And it's obvious in the moment that was a catch or gosh, it wasn't a catch. The, the ball bounced out and it's flying around. A anything other than that is just making it unnecessarily complicated. And they're just getting into the minutia and it's not serving the game. Well, I also don't th I don't think that playoff sports, especially Super Bowl, like championship game sports should be marred by little tit for tat calls like the James Bradbury hold at the end. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, of course that defined the game, but it also made it very boring. Mm -hmm. The Dallas Goddard catch, which was amazing. I mean, that catch was great. The minutia of it is he shouldn't have run through the stands, right? And then there was all these call uh, the stands. He shouldn't have run through the offlines because he was excited. But I mean, it made it exciting. And so I don't know. They probably need to have a defined set of rules that aren't subjective. I don't like subjective rules in sports because mm -hmm. they change. Dane's exactly right. I, and, and we've talked about this before. Something that definitely doesn't help, especially with the Super Bowl, is you have like an all-star crew of referees and not the people that have been working with each other all season long. So there's definitely going to be certain things that aren't going to flow as well as it did during the regular season. Uh, while doing research for this, I did happen to look up. There are three main things that need to happen for a catch. And then there's like five small, like little sub clauses that, you know, uh, pertains like if, well, th if, if this happens to do this, then it's not a catch. But if you happen to do this, it is a catch. When you actually break it down like that, it does seem a little bit too complicated. But in a lot of respects, there's just there's a lot of moving parts, literally, when it comes to catching a football. Well, they, they have so many different camera angles and the slow-mo and this and that. And I... I think any of the the calls that reverse catches that are for minor movement of the football generally in the breadbasket, I, I think are asinine. 
Um, I, I, I think that if the ball bounces off his hands, it's not a catch. If, if it obviously hits the ground and he sort of scoops it up thereafter, it's not a catch. Um, other than those obvious infractions, I would lean on the side of the receiver here. I think the toughest call is the control of the ball when as you're going out of bounds. And yes. so you clearly have taken your two steps. You've even taken a third step, but maybe the ball is bouncing around in your hands and you end up with it, but you're already out of bounds. So, I mean, where does that call go? I guess for you, because I wasn't there, which one of the controversial catches in the Super Bowl was the one that made you the most angry? All of them. <laughs> if if we have to talk about it and argue about whether or not it was a catch, that's the problem. Yeah, I think, I think that's what the NFL wants too. They just want people to be constantly talking about them. By the way, there's definitely one thing that I think should be banned, and John, you'll appreciate this. You shouldn't be allowed to catch balls off your helmet. Shut up! Bam! Fair catch. Next topic. All right, so I want to get Dane into this next question. So we're going to do an NHL question. Two-time Stanley Cup winning goaltender, Jonathan Quick was traded to the Columbus Blue Jackets this week, marking an end to his time with the LA Kings and probably the twilight of his career. Uh, Quick was dealt to Columbus along with a conditional first-round pick in 2023 and a third in 2024 for defenseman Vladislav Garikov and goalie Hunis Corpusalo, and if I mispronounce this, I'm sorry. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> <laughs> this gives the Kings a boost to their blue line and provides a much-needed left-handed shot at their defensemen, as well as giving the Blue Jackets uh, league-worst records and draft capital to begin to re- rebuild. And so, what does the Jonathan Quick deal say about the NHL trade deadline, and why trade an obvious franchise legend? You know, I didn't realize that Jonathan Quick was still in the NHL. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I, I I 100% knew that he was in the NHL. I did not know he got traded. That is how wild this NHL trade deadline has been. Yeah. Um, there have been some blockbuster trades. I mean, I'm still getting over Kane. Um, yes. Or- Orlov got traded to the Bruins. Yes. And he, he has like three goals and two assists in his last, in his first three games with the Bruins. There have been so many monster trades that honestly, Quick had not come across um, my stream, which is wild um, because he is a serious name. I mean, like, you know, he he was one of the reasons they won those two um, Stanley Cups in uh, 12 and 14, right? And um, he has been their goalie for 13 years, some ridiculous number. I mean, he, you know, I don't know much about as much about hockey as you guys, but I mean, for baseball, for football, I mean, those guys who spend their entire careers on teams, they want to retire for their teams. And now he's a blue jacket. Like what a slap in the face. That, that certainly um, does make me sad. I I, I think back to Zidane and Ochara, um, captain Mm. in the Bruins and just uh, a stalwart years won them the cup and um in his last year year um got traded down to the capitals um and i think he ultimately came back to the bruins for the one day contract to retire as a bruin he did um, yep as is right um but yeah i i agree i disagree uh with with the trade to move him out i it's tough to tell whether it's the team or the player and perhaps the team thinks that the player should retire at that point and the player just has has a couple more uh periods in them i was gonna say the general, the general consensus um from the internet and then jonathan quick's team was that he was disappointed and i mean right 
I'm disappointed. You have to like strike that portion of my career from the record because I was never a Columbus Blue Jacket. Oh, he's been with the Kings his whole career. I mean, the, 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 the era of a player, especially someone with the legendary status that Jonathan Quick had, being with one team their entire career is probably gone. You don't have like like Marty Bordeaux. He was a, a, a devil his entire career. Uh, Dominic Hasek was a saber his his entire career. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm I'm just going to throw out uh, Patrice, uh, Patrice Bergeron and um, Brad Marchand as being yeah. Bruins their entire career, but um, very rare, very rare though. Rare. I will say that hockey probably does a better job than other leagues at trying to have players stay with one team their entire career. Uh, there's definitely not a lot of loyalty in the other sports, but uh, there, hockey definitely seems to be the uh, somewhat of an exception uh, the the flip side is he's been traded from a team that is uh, about the worst in the nhl to one that is in the hunt for the cup um true so true um professionally perhaps he has one more chance to go at it where he would not have that in la i thought it was the opposite i thought the kings were in the hunt and columbus was on the bottom not true not not true columbus not true Hold on, I actually have that. This Everybody pull their phones out. <laughs> I mean, literally the whole point was the fact that Columbus I, sucks. I actually have the standings up right now. Oh, uh, the Kings are way the, better the Kings than are I third. thought they were. Oh, yeah, oh, the Kings are third geez. in the West. Yeah, the Kings oh, are in the right. hunt, and no. Columbus is terrible. John was right. This John was right. John, you are a better, better NHL fan than I am, apparently. <laughs> I just researched it yesterday, so. And, and it's wildly different than it was last year. Oh, yeah. Move it along. Let's keep going here. The Boston Bruins are a strong team with a stored history, and they have been consistently competitive in recent seasons. However, winning the Stanley Cup requires a combination of skill, luck, and perseverance, and many factors can impact a team's success in the playoffs. The Bruins will need to continue to perform at high level throughout the lengthy rigor of the regular season and playoffs. Ultimately, whether or not they win will depend on how they perform on the ice and how they match up against their opponents despite the fact they're on a record pace for wins and points. So, even with clutch victories against the Oilers, Flames, and most recently, the Sabres, are the Bruins a lock to be in the Stanley Cup Finals, and did we possibly see a Stanley Cup preview with the recent matchup against the Oilers? I'm going to let Dane start. I'm, I'm as, as a longtime Bruins fan, I'm still somewhat at a loss um, as to their performance this year it it has been world changing mind exploding i'm pleased to see it it did seem to come out of nowhere now before the trade deadline essentially all they really did was change head coaches right and they brought back some old players and yeah so they they pulled Krejci out of retirement uh they talked bergeron into playing for an additional year um they've got a, a one-two goalie tandem with all oh, the um, goalies the goalies all mark has played for check my math on this like five different teams he's he's a journeyman who's bounced around the league uh swayman's in his second year starting the season they had two of their superstars um coming back or not yet coming back uh from major surgeries in the offseason both brad marchand and um mcavoy were gone for months mm -hmm. begin the season. And so that is their number one defenseman, uh, their number one in points, um, agitator forward um, out. So nobody was 
thinking that they would do anything. And they, they shot out of a cannon. I think they were nine and one in their first 10. Yeah. Um, and then just improved from there. Um, Arshan came back uh, from his surgery and scored a bunch of goals in his first game. And what does a season like the season Pasternak is having do for a team? It's more than him. It's more than him. But I mean, fourth in uh, points in the whole NHL, second in goals in the whole NHL. I mean, he has 80 points. It's so, insane. So Pasternak is having a, a career year, which um, is is important to him because he just just today signed a eight year, $90 million contract. Mm-hmm. Um, so he got paid as he should. Pasternak is is a sniper, a goal scorer, and is is important to the team. Um, but if you look at players on the Bruins, all of them score. It is it is very evenly distributed um, when you compare it to other teams who have one or two superstars um, and nobody else. Um, I think that the the Bruins all carry the load much better, and I think that's why they're doing so well. It's not just one player, yeah. You, I think the middle of the stat lines, like so, even though Pasternak has twice the goals as Bergeron, um, Bergeron, Marchand, DeBrusque, Zacha, they all have. 15 plus, which is very well-rounded, I think. But I think both of the Bruins goalies are in the top five of goals against average, which is yep. insane. Yes, it is. It is a dynamic duo. Um, Do goalies rotate in the NHL? That is an actual question. It They do. And it's it's an, a relatively new thing that's only come about in the last five or 10 years. Uh, you used to have one sort of lead goaltender and a a backup and the lead goaltender would take the bulk of the starts. Um, now the NHL is transitioning to where they have a number one goalie and an A goalie and, and it's really a duo um, and it's much more evenly split, a lot more load management and um, seeing some great results from that. And the teams that do that are, are winning. And so other teams are really picking up on that. Well, you, there aren't a lot of, you know, goalies like the Patrick Waz and the Marty Brodeurs and the Dominic Koscik's anymore. You, you, Jesus, you say Mike some, Richter, dude. Let, let his name Mike touch Richter, your lips. Mike Thank Richter. Thank you, sir. <laughs> uh, there, there's very few. I mean, Vasilevsky is the one is one that comes to mind. I can't really name a lot of top tier goalies. Like, I, I, I mean, I could. And back in the 90s, my God, they're. There were so many of them. I mean, Andy Moog was was one of my favorite goalies, but I think that's only because he was a Bruin. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, Jonathan Quick. Uh, Jonathan Quick. Cert- certainly comes to mind. Um, you've got Crawford. You've got Vasilevsky. Um, Tuka Rask um, certainly has the stats to back up uh, that status. Is he a Hall of Famer? I certainly think he should be. Yeah. I- when you look at his stats um, relative to other Bruins goalies, who, as you said, is, has had a storied history, um, he's he's I don't know if he's number one, number two, number three. I think he's top three. Well, he was he's definitely had a long tenure as a Bruin, and he did win that Stanley Cup with them too. So, yeah, he could be uh, a Hall of Famer. He won the Stanley Cup sitting on the bench, but yeah, never mind that. <laughs> Right, that that was Tim Thomas standing on his Tim head. Tim Thomas standing on his head. Yeah, being like 30 miles away from the net. <laughs> <laughs> it was all the acrobats. Oh, my God. Watch those highlights all, all day long. 
Next topic. So to keep it in the NHL, because this is our big hockey episode, in more NHL trade deadline news, and Dane mentioned this superstar Patrick Kane is set to be a New York Ranger, go Rangers, in a blockbuster super team deal for a conditional second round pick, which will become a first if the Rangers make the conference finals. The deal also involved the Arizona Coyotes, which will take a portion of Kane's cap hit in exchange for a third round pick from the Rangers. So I didn't know that happened in the NHL. Uh, Kane, who has been with Chicago for his entire 16 year career, waived his no trade clause to join New York. So I really want to be excited about this trade. But is this another case of a New York sports team throwing money at an aging rental player to try to buy a playoff berth? Or is Patrick Kane still the real deal? Patrick Kane is a winner. I will say that. Like he won, was it two or three Stanley Cups for the Blackhawks? I mean, he's just, he, when, when I think of a winner in the NHL about 10 years ago, I thought of Patrick Kane. He was essentially like the Michael Jordan when it came to championships, I think. I think this could possibly reinvigorate his career. And do the Rangers have a chance? Yeah, of course they have a chance. And I, I mean, you never know. The Stanley Cup final, the Stanley Cup playoffs are, can be very unpredictable at times. I mean, we talked about the Bruins before being going at a record pace, but you know what my memory of the Bruins being a number one seed is? Them losing in the first round. They've done that an awful lot as the number one seed in the Stanley Cup Finals. So a lot can happen. We'll, I mean, the we'll, Rangers we'll haven't been a contender since I was a hockey fan. So I think they made the playoffs last season. <laughs> they did make the playoffs last season. <laughs> they have been a little better. And they're doing they're doing all right this year. Yeah, looks good. I mean, when New York sports teams typically do this, it's because they think they have a shot. By the way, when I looked at the uh, I was actually looked at the standings uh, for the entire NHL, the top six teams are actually in the East, believe it or not. The East the, is stacked this hell year. Yeah. Oh, my That's God. Awesome. The Rangers are number five. That's a playoff seat, right? I don't, yeah, I don't know I mean, how the NHL does The idea was that Kane is really, and, and probably because the Blackhawks aren't going to make the playoffs, but the Kane is trying to get another uh, Stanley Cup before mm-hmm. he is done. And he definitely could. I mean, listen, look, anything's possible, really. You never know. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be pretty, pretty down on this trade. I think <laughs> that, I, I, I think that his, his prime is past him. Uh, Blackhawk Glory was early 2010s. Um, I 10, 13, and 15. I just looked it up. Yep. I, I distinctly remember them beating the Bruins in 13. Thank you yeah. for, <laughs> for, for digging that back up. <laughs> yeah. I think that New York has a lot of good young blood on their roster. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about Adam Fox. Um, I, I think he's just absolutely fantastic. Only time will tell with Kane. Um, and I mean, is his hip okay? Right? Exactly. That's, that's the question. Does he need a hip surgery? Is he hiding it? I mean, he certainly got paid. Um, <laughs> the other team certainly got paid. The Rangers just had given up the farm. So, you know, they better win because they don't have any draft capital anymore. I was trying to be positive for you, John. I really was. I am not positive about the Rangers or the Knicks, um, even though the Knicks are also doing very well this year. Well, then I'll, well, I'll, I'll be more honest. No, the trade sucked. <laughs> Patrick Kane's an old man, but he's, he's an old man, right? He's, he's Jonathan man. Quick old, you guys. Yeah, but those first round. But. Never mind that. Well, I mean, talking about big scorers, right? Panarin is having a year. Can never say this kid's name. Zibanejad? Is that how you say that? Yep. 
Nice. Close I got enough. it right. Close enough. I know who you're talking about. <laughs> uh, they've Your pronunciations on this episode have been star, like five stars, by the way. Stellar, man. I said Hoonis. I said it with the H and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got decent goalies. And um, as, as I said, I've, I've got a bit of a man crash on, on Adam Fox. So. <laughs> Zabanajad is a handsome Swedish Swede. It's a handsome Swede. It's a nice mustache. Oh, mustaches in hockey. Mustaches <laughs> have no place in hockey. Uh, I, 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 I look up at Toronto. I see Mitch Marner. I, I see all these swarmy players with their mustaches. Swarmy. Uh, they beards or nothing. And really, if it's the beard, if it's nothing, uh, only beards. Next topic. So baseball, like many sports, regularly updates its rules to improve the game's fairness, safety, and entertainment value. This season in particular implemented several new rules that were aimed at speeding up the pace of play and reducing game times, including use of a pitch clock to limit the time between pitches and allowing an eight-second window for batters to be ready in the box for an awaiting pitch. These new rules have received mixed reactions from players, coaches, fans, and some welcoming the changes, while others are lamenting the loss of tradition. Nonetheless, Major League Baseball continues to evaluate and adjust its rules in an effort to keep baseball competitive and relevant in a rapidly changing sports landscape. These new changes that they've implemented have actually decreased the average time of play by about 23 minutes. So, everyone, how do we feel about the new rules in baseball? I mean, I think some of them are ridiculous. Have you seen the memes about the big bases? The big bases look dumb. Um, There's just three more inches. uh, I mean, come on, right? Um, I think that taking away shifts is a little bit rough. Um, Even though some of the shifts in the last couple of years of baseball have been very aggressive, the whole infield on the right side, right? Like just crazy things like that. Um, Sorry, can can you explain to me the, the taking away shifts? You're not allowed to do like a full infield shift anymore. So they they used to essentially just redraw the defensive alignment. I mean, you used to have, you know, your standard infield alignment used to have like two people on the left side on on the uh, on the dirt and two people on the right side. And it was it was fairly symmetrical. And now baseball has figured out with the spray charts that these guys are pretty much hitting it in one direction the entire time. So they're shifting their whole defense mainly the infield to a particular side and baseball said no you know we're not going to allow that anymore power hitters most hitters now in the and in baseball are pull hitters and so you know everybody will be on the right side of the field righties everybody will be on the left side of the field and it's just to stop line drives um extra base hits over the infield's head sometimes the infield will play really far out sometimes the outfielders will play really far in and then just really using using data and metrics to know where Aaron judge hits the ball 75% of the time. Right. Cause we have all of those numbers now that are being run by run, run by analytics. I mean, it's a shame. You used to have baseball players like Wade Boggs and Tony Gwynn. They could put that ball wherever they wanted. It didn't matter where your defense was. It, they, you hit them where they ain't. That was, that's what they did. And unfortunately those pure hitters are few and far between now because you're right. They just want to hit home runs. The, they're, they're talking about exit velocity and bat speed, and it's it's just absolutely. I I, I don't like the fe- where offense is going these days. Well, and it's a home run or a strikeout, right? It's a because home run or strikeout. Swinging. Yeah, and we're not doing small ball because small ball because of 
analytics and 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 infield positioning and i mean it's like it's really hard so, to get us a, a single so I, I i um a baseball expert because i recently watched moneyball Ooh, nice job thank you thank you and i i thought the whole premise uh behind that movie was get on base get on base yep that that was that was the so billy bean came up with that uh wow this is almost 30 years ago now and he he was the one that essentially started this whole sabermetrics movement in baseball, paying attention to numbers because the old timey way of scouting players was to look at them and whether or not they looked like a baseball player. Yeah. Did, 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 <laughs> how, how do they hold themselves? Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. But it's interesting because um, he looked at metrics and said, you need to get on base. Doesn't matter how you know yep. a, walk, a walk is as good as a single. Um, but you guys are saying that the metrics are now driving batters to go for home run or bust. That, well, that seems the, to be um, the opposite. There's just more metrics now. And you're you're absolutely right. It's a lot different now. I mean, listen, as as the old saying goes, chicks dig the long ball. So that's what a lot of that's what a lot of players were doing back in, uh, you know, in the high school and college days. <laughs> And that's what they concentrated on. I mean, it's almost the same thing in the NBA. Now everyone just wants to shoot a three-pointer. And no, the the there's a lost art of the mid-range jumper as uh, Steve Well, it's Lee. offense, offense, offense. It's happening offense, in all offense, sports. Offense. It's, why, it's why the NFL is filled with 1A and 1B wide receivers and big running, throwing, jumping, flipping quarterbacks. Um, it You want to get on the ESPN highlight reel because that's good for your team and that's good for your brand and that's good for your social media. And I mean, it just makes you a better athlete, right? Um, I think some of the dumber things coming out of the baseball rule changes, ads on the uniforms this year, that's going to be a train wreck once that heats up. That's every other league has that now, though. And it sucks. Yeah. And it sucks. sucks. And every other league on the in the NFL, like Popeye's chicken ads, like what? Uh, well, I, all right. I guess that's that's true. There's, it's not all plastered like they like Major League Baseball is, but NBA definitely has ads on their uniforms. Any any kind of free space is advertising space, and I'm I'm so thankful that the NHL teams have not adapted the European standards of just massive ads plastered all over their hockey players. It is it is hideous. It's distracting. Well, they move so fast. How can you actually see the ad? <laughs> well, now, grant, granted, right? Isn't um aren't baseball stadiums in Asia owned by companies? Never mind that. <laughs> Although controversially, the NHL has added the the moving ads on the. On the you know, players. I kind of like I kind of like those. Do, do you like them when the players and the puck disappear behind them? It's only for a small second. <laughs> you know what I do miss though when when Fox had the uh had that uh, broadcast of the NHL and they like they they would highlight the puck they like oh, they, they had that blue mouth. glow get out of <laughs> here I like that get the fuck and yeah, then they, and then they and they went over there was a slap shot it'd be like a cartoon like <laughs> I tell you I get confused a lot when I watch I watch hockey I don't necessarily know what's going on but that's okay because generally there's beer involved next topic. So because we love our guests, I have another dang question. The opening weekend of the 2023 MLS season kicked off with a bang with record attendance and a total of, get this, 
380,502 fans attending the 13 days uh, games on match day one. This high season opening week attendance was the biggest in league history uh, with a total crowd of 69,345 in Charlotte and 67,358 in Atlanta. Saturday marked the first time in MLS history that two standalone games recorded of an attendance of at least 65,000 fans on the same day. And so on the tail of the men's World Cup and the beginning of the women's international season, uh, is the MLS at an inflection point in the U.S.? And which team should we watch out for this season? I heard about that stat, by the way, and I that's absolutely amazing to me that the MLS was able to accomplish that. It's It definitely seems like soccer is probably on the rise. I don't know if you can, if it has to do with the recent World Cup. It, it could even have to do with Ted Lasso, which, by the way, new season comes out March 15th. Apple's not a sponsor. Yeah. Amazing. Ted Lasso, by the way, awesome. Yes. And Roy Kent so, is my favorite. And Dane, yes. I think he might be Roy Kent in a different light. Love it. Um, so so do you think it's actually at a inflection point? Um like or, in a good way, yeah. Is it is it becoming something like it is in the rest of the world? As an engineer, an, an inflection point has a very specific meaning. Um, explain to us is it at a point where its trajectory is going to change appreciably or is it continuing the same rise at the same rate yeah, that's that the exact question that i am asking perfect exactly the way you phrased it i was trying to do some quick math but you were talking fast with your um italian lips um <laughs> those those ML, mls opening games uh they averaged twenty thousand per person uh per game is that correct? Give me the numbers again. What you got? Uh, there were 13 games and there were 380,500 fans. Which of, which, of which there were two games that had over 65,000 in attendance right. by themselves. And Charlotte and, and Atlanta had over 65, so they had half, I guess. The so average was 29, um, which again, coming back to hockey, which is the best most underappreciated sport um, in, in the continent. Um, you know, 20,000 is good um, for a hockey stadium. I know football stadiums go crazy in those college games. You get upwards of 100,000. Um, well, that's so, also why the NHL loves like the outdoor winter classics, right? Because you can play in baseball or football stadiums where you can fit more people. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I love Winter Classic games that the Bruins win. I mean, they pretty much sold out Mercedes-Benz in Atlanta, 69,000. That's about as much as can fit in that stadium. Um, they pretty much sold out Charlotte. Um, the fact of it, you know, probably smaller market teams are people who are less interested, but still an average of, you know, 25,000 in those stadiums, I think is pretty significant. Um, Absolutely. That's, that's at, getting to capacity. Yeah, that's like, awesome. When you think about it, and this is what we talk about all the time. If soccer starts to make money, that's what happened in Wrexham. If soccer starts to make money, more people play it, more superstars come to the MLS, more excitement comes to the MLS, and more people watch. It's cyclical. You mean we're not going to get those aging international stars? <laughs> right. We're not going to get the aging international stars anymore. God. That, Where no. Beckham goes to die, right? Zlatan, uh, Wayne Rooney. Right? Didn't he come to play MLS for like a couple of years in Washington or something like that? I mean, from a marketing standpoint, uh, those guys are awesome. Like, I, I, I would pay to watch Beckham. I, uh, I actually 
did the only MLS game I ever went to was the New England Revolution when they played the LA Galaxy. And of course, who was on that Galaxy at the time? Mr. David Beckham. And what happened every single time he touched the ball? Just enormous amounts of booze. <laughs> I mean, that's Fantastic. amazing, though, right? That, that's, that's like fan our fan engagement. Yes. You can't buy that. Or you can buy David Beckham. I'm not going to introduce the next topic. And now here's my favorite segment, which has been renamed to 10 Quick Shots to Your Balls. Where nice. I ask, where I ask ten quick fire questions that John and Dane will give their first impression. Are you ready, gentlemen? Hell yeah, Let's do it. I apologize if some of these are going to be out of your your uh, field of knowledge here. Uh, Nothing's out of my field of knowledge. Who who would we take in the women's college basketball playoff bracket? The undefeated University of South Carolina Gamecocks, led by Don Staley, or the rest of the field? Can I just you pick UConn? UConn, 100%. UConn is not so good this year. I mean, they their number one player, Paige Beckers, is hurt again. And I think they just lost another pretty top talent. But I mean, I it's the biggest, her name right now. Is it still the biggest women's college program in the world? I don't know. It's the U.S. The, uh, the South Carolina now is, is up there. Like, they're the one getting all the heat. And again, they're undefeated. It's been a while since either men or women have had an undefeated team. I got, I got faith. UConn. Done. <laughs> nice. Nice. You're thinking the same way. All right. Who belongs on the NHL Mount Rushmore? That is the, your four our top players for the NHL. Dan can go first. I mean, Gretzky, right? Uh, Gretzky's uh, obvious. Mario Lemieux. Uh, I think you're going to get Hall up there. Mm -hmm. um, Brett, not Bobby, right? Or's in the conversation. Patrick Waugh. Uh, I doesn't doesn't quite get there for me. Okay. As as much as it pains me, Ovechkin is 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 working on 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 mm. passing up Gretzky, um, which is going to be a wild day. And it's looking that he he's going to do it. And so, as with most things these days that I don't know the answer to, ChatGPT's opinion on this is the best NHL starting lineup: uh, center wing Gretzky, left wing Gordy Howe, right wing uh, Maurice Richard. Defenseman, Bobby Orr, another defenseman, Doug Harvey, and Patrick Waugh as the goaltender. Okay, I give you Raw. All right, next question. It is under speculation that roughing the passer could be a reviewable offense. Should it be? Yes and no. I'm, you see, can't be both. <laughs> no, here's the deal, right? We just talked about this, and I agree with it implicitly minutia in football calls is problematic at best right and because now we have these subjective plays that can get called back because of you know very many random things you know like the roughing the passer that happened in cincinnati right where um i forget his name but he was very upset about that call he didn't think he did anything um now do i agree with rules that keep young quarterbacks from getting um traumatic brain injuries hell yeah I mean, there needs to be a way to meet in the middle where we're not killing these kids and ruining their careers, but also that the game is still exciting. I think that I have problems with um, sports where some calls are reviewable, but others are not. Yeah, I, um, yeah totally. Coming to my hockey experience, um, when you have a goal, they can review that play um, all the way back to see if there was an offsides. So if there was an offsides by a quarter of an inch, a minute and a half before the goal happens, if it stays in the zone, they can call it back for that. 
Um, but there are a bunch of other calls that are not reviewable. And that comes to the inconsistency that, that fans hate across all sports. Good points. All right. Next question. Will Mac Jones have a bounce back year with an actual offensive coordinator? Mac Jones isn't going to have the back year, man. He can't do That's much like worse. Daniel Jones is, this is like saying Daniel Jones is fast. He can't do much worse. He could. I think that the I think that the Patriots are in a in a tough spot. I think that Tom Brady proved that while the question when he left was was it him or was it Belichick? I mean, it maybe was a combination a little, but both of them, it was mostly him. And I mean, they dropped off so fast. Everybody left, and they weren't good, and they're still not that good. For a number of years, and and Brady walked off to the Buccaneers and. Won Super Bowls, um, right? Yeah, I, I think the question's been answered, and the Patriots are simply not fun to watch anymore. Um, all, all of the players that made them fun for me to watch, and it, it honestly isn't just Brady. Um, Gronk is a hoot. Um, Edelman is my favorite Patriot of all time, um, and and they simply don't have the charisma to to draw me in to watch them however many games a season they play anymore. Julian Edelman, short college quarterback. Oh my god. Best Patriot ever. Yeah. All right. next question. Who should be the NBA MVP this year among Luka Doncic of the Mavericks, Jason Tatum of the Celtics, Giannis Antetokounmpo of the Bucks, Joel Embiid of the 76ers, or someone else? I like Giannis. Actually, I like the Bucks a lot. Tatum is a lot of fun to watch, but... um, I love Tatum. Who was, who was the first guy you said? Luka Doncic of the Mavericks. Oh, yeah. No, he's, he's white Michael Jordan, you guys. He, he, is, he is the most fun to watch. <laughs> he is very fun to watch. His, 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 his highlights, his, his off-court, he's, he's, he's a hoot. He's got a lot of Pete Maravich in him. because And he, I mean, Pete Maravich was like a, a wizard with the, the ball sometimes. And, but he's, he's tall and he can shoot threes. And but, I mean... He's he's killed the Celtics so many times with some last second shots. It's but here's the thing about Doncic, right? Are the Mavericks going to win the NBA Finals? Oh no, that wasn't no, the question. <laughs> no, but right, get and, out of here. That's not the question. <laughs> and so this comes up all the time in these questions, these MVP questions. How are you impacting your team? And I think that Tatum, I think that Giannis, Embiid to a point, I think they're all making their team much better. And I don't necessarily think Doncic is because if you stop him, the Mavericks are done and they lose. I mean, do you stop him? Well, not every time because he's much better at basketball than you are. All right. Next question. Will the XFL last beyond this year? If the Rock has anything to say about it. <laughs> the, the XFL's still a thing? Yeah, oh, the Rock became, bought it. The XFL 2.0. Oh, yeah. shit. And in opening weekend of the XFL, he announced more than one game of the game openers. He literally walked out, did his rock thing. He's really trying to hype it up. There was uh, This was mentioned on what these balls missed. No, there wasn't one single game that had more than 2 million viewers, though. That's a yeah. lot of people. Not in terms of how much money you spend on that. Well, <laughs> what's, what are the comps? <laughs> We're talking real estate now. <laughs> uh, what what what's an average NFL game? What's what's an average Major League Baseball game? I mean, Sunday Night Football can get up to like twenty million, and then I think the average NFL game is probably it's, it's probably between like 
six and eight million, I would say, at the very least. And that's those are the ones that are the local. Well, you know, yeah, you, you have a lot of games going on at once, and you have NFL Sunday Ticket or Red so, Zone. So, so, so they're they're two million versus six. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> it's still young. I mean, they need to do more than one year in order to see whether or not it's a viable product. Uh, next question: What's the next movie we're excited to see in the theaters? The Shazam sequel in like two weeks. I saw that. I saw the trailer for that. That looks very good. I just asked Jamie if she wanted to go with me tonight. So we're going to go that weekend, probably. Awesome. Uh, I think it may be past theaters. It might just be hitting streaming. But uh, Cocaine Bear is um, on my list. That seemed amazing. So much Cocaine Bear. I heard so many good things about Cocaine Bear. We I, I may save it up. John, maybe we need to see it next week. Hell yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it. Beers. You should tell Will to definitely grab it legally. Yes, and store it legally and stream it. store it completely legally and stream it completely legally. Okay, done. All right. I love this. I love this idea and I'm excited to be a part of it. How long do we feel the seller's market will last in real estate? Um, Last October, it it transitioned and it crashed. Um, ask me how I know. <laughs> I, 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 on a whim, bought a house in August um, without really um, thinking about it. And uh, my house was not ready for sale. And so by the time I went to sell in October, uh, the market was crashing. Um, interest rates had skyrocketed. And I had three buyers walk away um, halfway through the deal. Ooh, we, you still it, sold it though. I still sold it eventually, um, but it was rough. And the house that I bought, um, I think I'm paying six and three quarter percent interest. And I refinanced my house last year at two and a quarter. Oh uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been a rough ride. Um, I, I think that um, new mortgage starts are at a, the eight-year low, um, yeah, it, it is no longer a seller's market. Well, it's still a little bit. So I'll give you some stats for the state of Rhode Island. There's about 3,000 people trying to look for houses in Rhode Island, and there's 700 single-family homes right now. So it's still somewhat. It's not quite the way it was two years ago. Uh, I but got one of those under 3% market. refinances a couple of years ago, too, before it exploded. Yeah, yeah. I, I, put, on, just, I, put, on a, I put on a roof on my house. All right, next Nancy. question. Next I mean, question. I didn't do it. A bunch of guys came and crawled all over my house and did it. <laughs> next question. If we were on death row, what would we request as our last meal? A steak and probably a New York-style cheesecake and probably some sort of pasta. It's very carby. Yeah, I'm Italian. Shut your face. <laughs> it's carbo loading for uh, the chair. Um, yeah. yeah, no, uh, Boston. So obviously it's got to be lobster. Lobster. And beers. Lobsters and beers. With all the butter sauce. All right, final question. I have Where- to ask the New Englanders. I have to interrupt. Where is the best lobster roll in New England? Go. You have to go up to Maine at the very least. 
Oh, and, okay. and it's it's migrating north. Uh, it's it's really um, troubling. But yeah, the, the waters are getting warmer. Them, the lobsters themselves have gone from Cape Cod, and and, and Maine is not so good anymore. You kind of got to go to Nova Scotia. Um, but the blue crabs from Maryland are now up into Cape Cod and moving their way up. So, oh, I didn't hear that. I didn't hear that. Yeah, they're they're moving north. Um, I, I've been crabbing in, uh, North Carolina since I was born and it has been a decade since I've had a good haul and it's simply because they're going North and they are in Massachusetts and they're starting to get into Maine. I think there's a fishery in Maine for crab. Mark, do you remember the time that we went for crab in Maryland and my mother made us walk through the ghetto? I do. (laughs) I was scared. All right, final question, and this is actually a very, very serious question. Where can I get me some Raspberry Girl Scout cookies? You can. They're, they they sold out. I, I refuse to accept that answer. I literally was at a Girl Scout meeting yesterday because my life is very exciting, and they sold out everywhere. I think there were six boxes that got to be sold in Albany, like the whole region, like is, sold out or everywhere. What was that? Their special edition this year? Yeah, yeah. They made like a raspberry thin mint, essentially. I'm very, <sighs> very upset. Right, I, raspberry thin mints. Isn't that a great? Do you I, think? Do you so think excited. they're on? Do you think they're on eBay? Um, they are literally <laughs> selling on eBay for a hundred dollars. Oh my god! Yeah, missed opportunity. Uh, note to self: make raspberry thin mints. Final topic: fight. So, in John fashion, I'm ending the show with a really, really depressing question. Russia again? No, it's not Russia again. Um, Police have secured arrest warrants for former Georgia Bulldog defense star defensive tackle Jalen Carter, stemming from the top draft prospects alleged involvement in a fatal crash on January 15th of this year involving a teammate. Uh, This is after evidence came to light this week of alcohol impairment, racing and reckless driving. As well, this year it was confirmed that Alabama basketball standout Brandon Miller brought teammate Darius Miles a gun after being asked to do so via text last month that was used to kill uh, Jimmy Jonay Harris outside of campus. And so, with Brandon Miller and Darius Miles immediately removed from the Crimson Tide program, but Jalen Carter set to participate in the NFL Combine this week, is crime and cover-up always been a problem in college sports, or is there a difference between the privilege in an NCAA top football program versus an NCAA top basketball program? You know, I when uh, you first mentioned a uh, a serious topic, and then you, I, I joked about a Russia. I thought you were actually going to mention uh, Alex Murdoch, which that's that trial, by the way, is very enticing and intriguing. But we'll talk about that another time. Anyway, with regards to the privilege, with regards to oh, sorry, privilege of top college athletes. Of course, there is. Come on, and now that there is uh, even more money going around in college athletics with the name, image, and likeness going. O- Going around how athletes, college athletes, can make money off of their, uh, off just make money now. They're essentially they're almost becoming professional athletes. I mean, of course, and uh, I, you know, the Brandon Miller thing. I didn't last I checked, he wasn't disciplined for that because that hasn't been ruled on. Like he hasn't been actually charged with anything. But Darius Miles is definitely off the team right now. Uh, but with regards to uh, the kid for from Georgia, uh, he's saying he's innocent. In this country, you are innocent until proven guilty. So we'll, we'll say we'll we'll see what happened with that. But yes, of course, there's, a, there's that whole stigma, and I mean, it's more people, than a stigma. That's yeah. Two people died. Two people. I died. mean, 
and they asked him after because he was in the accident they were like were you, were you racing he was like what like yeah. he came back later i mean yeah. it just looks really bad it looks like the team and you know you're in georgia you're bulldogs country and the team is just like you just come over here with us son and we will handle the whole thing and do i think that's going to affect his draft status no i don't i don't you don't all. think so nope I, I mean he's a great he's a great prospect he uh mm-hmm. defense players are today right you know what the uh you know what the ruling that the nfl said that well he's not a professional he's not an nfl player yet so we don't really have to do anything about this really yeah wow that's so slimy yep it comes down to the individual team and, and whether or not they want to be associated with that. So, so there, I think that there will be some teams uh, that step back because of it and some teams that just don't give an F and, um, and go for the prospect. So I, I think that, I think that it will affect um, his, the height that he can reach in the draft. Um, but not that much. It, it may drop him a couple of pegs until somebody decides they want to swoop him up. I don't think it's going to affect it at all. Even if more details come out, like, well, more details will probably come out after the draft. Uh, I, well, I mean, we'll see. Maybe they actually will speed it up and with their whatever investigation that they're doing, and so details will come up before the draft. I mean, but I, my gut says it's it's not going to affect his draft status at all. Like he's probably going to be in the top three. He may even be, he could even be the number one pick. You never know. Uh, with regards to Brandon Miller, though, there's a lot of speculation out there that the Alabama. I don't know what the ranks right now, but I think at the time they're the number two team in the country. So, you know, had they not been ranked so high, because Alabama usually is not that good of a team, not, not ranked that high. I mean, they they make the tournament um most years but they're definitely not like a blue blood uh with regards to college basketball so and that was just the question i think that the georgia football program is more important to the george uh to the bulldogs than the alabama basketball program is in to the crimson tide i think it's means more to them in general i mean, I mean it's it's there the same was but some, they're different there was some <laughs> sense to that the Jalen Carter situation was less um, malicious, right? Like n- less intent to harm. Like I think that the Brandon Miller situation, the Darius, Mi- Darius Miles involvement, whatever happened um, is more serious clearly because he definitely probably, he had, you know, criminal intent, at least as far as the story is shaping up. Absolutely. I mean, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on and especially in college athletics too that probably shouldn't be that's a pretty good line i like that one so that has been our 10 topics please follow or like us on our socials at if these balls pod on twitter instagram and facebook our website is www.ifthesballscouldtalkpod.com where you can see our sports news of the day you can talk to us through discord or visit our online store and purchase some show swag We would like to thank our guests for joining us this week. Thank you, Dane. Thanks, Dane. Thank you so much for having me. I've got to step off here because I have to go see this Bruins five-goal third period against the Sabres. (laughs) This is going to be some fun highlights here. You're like, yo, yo. This is Mark Pesci, and for my partner, John Companion, producer Pete Steffen, that's what we feel they would say if these balls could talk. If these balls could talk.